Hoffman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk to Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. Bill Newman is off today. Uh, hello, Dan Torres. Hey, Buzz. I'm excited. We have in the studio Northampton's fire chief for another three or four days, I suppose, until Monday he becomes the, uh, the next state fire marshal who has been appointed to oversee um, uh, the, well, a lot of important things we're going to be talking about right now. And his name is John Davin, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Chief. Um, this is a big change for you. It is, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. So let me just start with the obvious. Are you going to be completely uh, uh, leaving uh, your haunts and your colleagues of the last, what, 25 years? Yeah, it's, you know, I, it's, I'm coming to realize it's a lot more difficult than leaving than I thought it was going to be. Uh, tomorrow will be my last day, and um, Andy Pilas, who's our assistant chief, will be sworn in as the new chief at 2.30 tomorrow afternoon. So um, Andy and I have been, you know, best friends since the day I started, so I'm excited for him. Uh, but it's, you know, it's bittersweet. It's kind of cliche, but, you know, my best friends are all here, and, you know, I started here as a 27-year-old kid, and I grew up in this department. You know, I started as a firefighter and kind of worked my way up through the ranks, and, you know, I've developed some really good relationships with other other department heads and, you know, folks over at the police department. And it's going to be, tomorrow will be a tough day, I think. Tougher than I thought it was going to be. I can imagine. That a lot of us have jobs where we work closely and form great bonds with our coworkers. Does it change things when you're actually, when your job requirement, your job description involves what could be fatality while working together, the training that you go through, does that form a different kind of relationship? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, we have four, four shifts and they work 24 hour shifts. They work 24 hours straight. Um, so, you know, it's almost like a, it's a family. Uh, you spend a lot of time together at work and you cook together, you cook, you know, you eat three meals together and you know, it's, it's like a family, you, you know, you argue and you joke around with each other. Tell the same dumb jokes. Tell the same dumb jokes. And, <laughs> but they also, you know, the shifts also spend a lot of time together off duty. You know, they're all, they're pretty tight. You know, they have parties and Christmas parties. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see. It's, it's a different job. You know, it's not a Monday through Friday, you know, eight-hour day. It's, it's um, you, you know, you just spend so much time together and you're, you're at work a lot. You were a Marine before you became a firefighter. Correct. Was that a useful set of skills, a useful experience that you brought to fire safety? It was. It was. You know, I, I enjoyed my time in the service. And, you know, I think I've, I've, as my leadership style has developed over the years, you know, I've taken some of that stuff that I've learned from, you know, leaders that I had in the Marine Corps as, you know, as an 18-year-old kid and, and then kind of up through the fire service. And, you know, I've had some great, some great uh captains and deputies and chiefs here in Northampton that I've learned from. And, you know, I think it's also a testament to them, right, that, that the folks that train me, and, you know, and here I am 25 years later, and I'll be, in the, you know, the state fire marshal. So. The state fire marshal. Let's talk about that for a minute. Sure. We in western Massachusetts always feel neglected. We feel like our talent pool isn't recognized because people who know people, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and Absolutely. they end up in the positions of, great authority in the Commonwealth, but here we have a local boy, Chief Northampton's uh, city of 30,000. Correct. Uh, fire chief becoming the state fire marshal. Is 
Is that something we should feel good about? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and we, you know, we always say the same thing, right? Any, once you get west of 495, they kind of forget all about us. And, you know, I think out west, we, we face a unique set of challenges. You know, you and I were talking earlier about we have a lot of volunteer departments out, out west, you know, and a lot more than they have out east. So we, we face a different set of challenges as far as, you know, helping those smaller departments out with, you know, they're, they're having trouble with recruiting and, and training. So, you know, any, I'm hopeful that when, you know, I can bring that, Department of Fire Services and and bring more resources out to the western part of the state. And I want to circle back to that, uh, Chief John Devon. But first, let's describe what it is you're going to be doing. I know here in Massachusetts we have uh, the Executive Office of Public Safety and Security, I think it's called. Correct. It is a secretariat. That is, it's in, in the governor's cabinet level. Um, and it is, that's where, I guess, your ultimate supervisor is going to be, right? Correct. Who will that be? So the ultimate supervisor would be the Secretary of Public Safety, Terry Reedy, and then, um, you know, his immediate uh, undersecretary. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be so Public Safety includes the Secretary oversees law enforcement. Correct. Oversees emergency management. Yep. And oversees fire safety. Correct. Right? Okay. And you will be, there is a Department of Fire Services, and um, there is the Fire Service Commission, of which I think you will head. Is that right? Yes. So I'll be, uh, the Fire Service Commission is actually who who selected me as the next marshal, and and that's their job to select the next marshal. And then, you know, you have a a training council. um, There's all sorts of boards and commissions that I'll be involved with at DFS. uh, but ultimately, I learn, uh, work at the will of that fire service commission, that eight-person right. commission. What I want to do is I, I just want to make sure, because I have a hard time understanding this, partly because I haven't been involved. I was a volunteer firefighter, I think, in 1979 <laughs> for a couple of years <laughs> until my law practice took me away from free time. Um, but what is the Department of Fire Services, and what's its relationship to what will now be your uh, commission, Fire Service Commission. What's the relationship between those two entities? So the Department of Fire Services, basically the, the, our job at the Department of Fire Services is to support the fire service in the Commonwealth, right? So you've got three campuses for fire academies, one in Springfield, one in Stowe, and a new one that they're building in Bridgewater. That's the trained firefighters. That's the trained firefighters. So you've got that, the Mass Fire Academy. Um, you've got code enforcement. Right. So you've got code enforcement officers stationed throughout the state that respond to, you know, different, you know, they go out and do different inspections. And so I'm building, like I'm that. building a new building to uh, do a commercial activity. I have to comply with the code. You will oversee those inspectors that come and see whether we're in compliance. Correct. Correct. So code enforcement, and then you've got the fire safety division. Um, and then you've got... And what is the fire safety? So division? fire safety division, you know, they're putting out all the, you know, the different you know, like lithium ion batteries and the different, um, you know, things we want folks to be aware of and, you know, smoke detectors and that, that message that so fire that's to educate message. people like me. Correct. Correct. To, to uh, constantly make sure that people have the information they need in order yeah. to uh, more safely right. live their life. Right. Right. And then you've got special operations. So that's the, the hazmat team. Um, DFS runs a couple of different, uh, incident support, large incident support vehicles. So, you know, say we had a large incident in Northampton that was going to be, you know, a multi-day event. We can request that from the Department of Fire Services. It's basically a, a big truck that you can use as a command post. 
Uh, we have rehab units, same thing, large trucks that, um, you know, the air conditioned and heat and firefighters can go in there during a, an incident and cool off or warm up. And, you know, there's drinks in there, cold drinks, coffee, some snacks. Uh, so firefighters have a place to kind of just, you know, relax and then uh, before they go back to work. And then you also have the uh, state police fire investigators out there and the state police bomb squad. So uh, we are talking with Northampton Fire Chief for another day and a few hours uh, <laughs> after a quarter of a century here in, in Northampton fighting fires and the last few years as a chief. And soon on Monday, he will be sworn in as our state fire marshal. I think you'll be overseeing roughly 800 employees. Is that yeah, it's, yeah, between full and part-time. You know, if you, you know, you count all the instructors at the academy, full and part-time folks, yeah, it's close to 800 people. That's a daunting task, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a heavy lift. But you know, we there's great people working out there. You know, I have a deputy marshal, uh, Maribel Fournier, who is, uh, as far as I know, she plans to stick around. So um, you know, she'll be a wealth of knowledge for me, and you know, I'll be leaning on her. And uh, have a uh, operations chief out there also. You know, and then I have fire academy director, and you know, there's there's a lot of help. So you know, it's not just going to be me. This is Dan. What do you think the biggest challenge is for firefighters uh, across the state of Massachusetts when you assume office? So I think the biggest challenge right now, I mean, just for fire departments and fire chiefs is recruiting. Uh, it's been very difficult, not just here in Northampton and, you know, not just volunteer departments, but full-time departments also. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm going to interrupt, which I don't like to do, only because I want to continue the conversation we were having before we came in studio. Um, I live in a hill town. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first, uh, well, no, I think there were about 40 volunteers when I first moved there a half a century ago. I think now we have 16. Wow. Um, and of those 16, some of them are just aged out, climbing a ladder and climbing a roof and doing what firefighting involves is a really difficult thing to do. So since you drew that, if you only have 16 volunteer firefighters in a town like Ashfield, population, what, 1,800? Yeah, you're so, right. so What's the risk, I guess, as since you fight fires, that you only have 16 volunteers? What's, what's the trouble you think that a town which has volunteer firefighters could experience? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, here in Northampton, you know, we have 72 firefighters altogether, and each shift runs with a minimum of 13 and we we require mutual aid from other other surrounding communities to help fight our fire. So, you know, with just 16 people in a department and, you know, you never know how many are going to actually show up to the fire. You know, these departments, again, rely on their neighbors to help them out, too. And, you know, I think eventually what we're, you know, these smaller volunteer departments, you know, having trouble recruiting Similar to what they've done with EMS, I think eventually, you know, some of these departments are going to have EMS to look. EMS meaning ambulance service. Ambulance service, right. Yep. So I think you're eventually going to have to look at, you know, partnering up with other communities around you and possibly regionalizing, yep. right? And we're starting to see that. Um, I know uh, we had the fortune or misfortune, I should say, last month of just happening. We were just happening to go to Amherst at the exact moment that lightning strike caused that huge fire right. in the J&J &J, right. uh, farm barns. Yeah, we were over there. I was just going to say, there were all kinds of departments oh, over yeah. there. I mean, yeah, it, it was, was terrific. Fire. The black smoke was, yeah. we saw it from Route 116. Right. 
We were like, what is that? And then we saw the flames. I think we were passing at a quarter of five. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of regionalization, that's a big change. In, and a lot of these hill towns, homes are far from where stations might be. If, if, you, if you put the station in one town, a neighboring town could be 40 minutes away. Oh, to get to some, Right. That's a problem for firefighters. It is, yeah. I mean, it's a problem here in the city. You know, we have some homes up in Leeds that have driveways that are a mile long, you know, and it, it's, it's by the time we get up there and, you know, you try to get a, a fire engine up there and get water up there, you know, it can be 15, 20 minutes and, you know, that fire gets a good head start. So it's, you know, the, I, I sympathize with the small towns, but, you know, you start looking at the price of apparatus now. Like, I, I believe... Fire engines right now, I know Pierce Manufacturing, who we're buying our new ladder from, um, just sold their first million-dollar fire engine. I know in Ashfield, we have a, they have their eyes on a $475,000 one. And yeah. a small town, as you said, Dan, you know, we have, what, 1,350 tax right? Well, only 750 homes that are paying taxes. It's a big lift to half sure. a million dollars. Well, and, and you look at the cost of that, right, with, with 16 firefighters and... Right. I mean, eventually, like I said, you're going to have to look at starting to partner with other communities and similar to what uh, the state is pushing regionalization now for dispatch centers. Mm. Right. They, you know, because everybody wants to run their own 911 center. Well, that's it's expensive. Right. And it's expensive to, to keep that equipment up. Right. And so now the state is offering a lot of grant money out there for for people to partner up, right? So Northampton could partner with East Hampton, Southampton. Well, Dan, I, so your question was, what's your biggest challenge? I heard Recruiting it. sounds... Recruiting is... And, and regionalization. Wanted to know from you, um, what's, the, what's the biggest thing a, a, a homeowner or a renter can do to prevent fires from happening in the beginning? Is there one that firefighters are just like, come on? Smoke detectors. Is that I, right? I, it, yeah. it amazes me to this day, 25 years... Um, you know, we still go to house fires and you'll get in there and they don't have working smoke detectors, you know, and, and I think just about every fatal fire that I can remember in the city, um, they, they didn't have working smoke detectors, mm. you know, and, and I get it right that, you know, the batteries die and people get frustrated or, or there's a smoker in the house and, you know, or, or a terrible cook. Or that bacon causes. Right, or that terrible well, cook in the, the house. The worst thing and, is three in the morning when that spider gets in right, there. Right, right. And people take them down, and they never get back up. Or the batteries die, they never change the batteries. And honestly, that is the number one thing that you can do is is have working smoke detectors. And carbon monoxide. Detectors. And carbon monoxide, yeah. Carbon monoxide is another big one, correct? Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break, but if any listener is uh, listening... Get out and get yourself a smoke detector, or two or three, depending on the size of your home. We're going to be right back. We are talking to who will soon be our new state fire marshal, John Davin, and uh, we're really happy to have him in the studio. There's a lot that we can learn about fire safety. We'll be right back. They may put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. 
Are you tired of living with chronic pain, knee pain, joint pain? Listen carefully, because now there are new regenerative treatments now available here. QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, is now open, giving lasting relief to people with joint pain with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. Regenerative medicine uses highly concentrated healing agents from your own body. These powerful treatments can restore and repair damaged tissue in your achy joints, so you can move again without pain. QC Kinetics has over 100 clinics nationwide and has treated thousands of patients with incredible success. Their advanced protocols are an exciting way to manage pain from arthritis and injury without surgery or steroids or pain pills. If you've got pain in your knees, shoulders, hip, or back, you need to check out these new treatments. They can actually help your body restore and repair itself. Call now to schedule your free consultation with the local medical professionals at QC Kinetics. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Ah, summer in New England, and the local farmers are showing up at the co-op every day with summer berries, basil, and tomatoes, an endless bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats, sausage, lots of grilling ideas. And in the co-op cheese department, get fresh mozzarella for your caprese salad. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back exploiting our time here in the studio with the state's new fire marshal. It's so exciting. John Davin, uh, currently the, for another day, chief of the Northampton Fire department. We were talking about what homeowners can do to make their houses more uh, safer, and uh, you had already mentioned uh, the critical need of smoke detectors. You you didn't even blink when Dan asked you what's the most Absolutely. important thing. But I was talking about fire extinguishers, and uh, we had some, and it became very expensive to get somebody to come and fill them. Right um, where we lived, and and you were talking about residential um, uh, sprinkler systems, which. I don't know much about. Um, are they expensive? Um, you know, I don't know. It depends, obviously, on the size of your house and the size of the system. But, you know, you think about the cost of replacing your home, right, if you, if you do have a fire, compared to the cost of that sprinkler system. And, you know, we've seen how they work. And, you know, if you get a fire and that sprinkler system will, if not extinguish it, it'll keep that fire very small. So when the fire department does get there, you know, they can extinguish it. And you're gonna have you'll know, have some water damage, but it's better than you know replacing your entire home. Uh, I'm sure well, we're I'm talking about say, people who have the resources. Yeah, because it's got to be somewhat expensive. It's a little bit, but if you think about you know rural homes, and it right. might take you a while to get there. Well, yeah, and you were talking about a driveway being you know what is it a mile long to right. get through? If you right. guys had to go bring your truck plus the equipment, 
right. it might be worth looking at for homes that are more rural and sparsed out throughout yeah, the western. Absolutely, and you know, yeah, a lot of your hill towns too don't have fire hydrants, right. right? So they have to draft water, which takes time, right? And right. you know, you're it's a ride from the fire station, but with these volunteer communities, the firefighters have to get to the station first, right? I mean. Here in Northampton, we're here, right? We're, you know, our turnout time is minutes, and they're in the truck. And, right, and if a fire happens after like ten o'clock at night, right, people are home with their families, right, and so they have to get to the station. Yeah, and then um, if they need water, we have Ashfield Lake, but they right. have to drive to Ashfield have, Lake. Yeah, they have to set all that up, and we have areas in the city up in Leeds where you know we don't have fire hydrants, and we do have to draft. So our folks train on that every year, and. You know, we have certain sites designated in the city where we know we can draft from and, you know, set up those portable water tanks. And But it takes time and it takes resources. So, John, John Devin, as the state fire marshal, you're also going to oversee um, hazardous material response. A lot of us were horrified when we saw what happened in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a train derailed and evac- mass evacuations and air quality was toxic. Um, people could die if they Absolutely. inhaled those chemicals. Um, and I just want to add, I happen to have been going yesterday up to Greenfield, and I had time, and so I went up 5 and 10, and there at Tom's the Hot Dog Place, I saw about a dozen people in firefighters, I think that they were a hazmat training crew, yep. I, I yeah. saw Jesse Rosnick there. Yep. Yeah, that's our, yeah, so I'm a member, well, I'm a member, I will, yesterday was my last uh, hazmat drill yesterday, so... so uh, that kind of training for that kind of thing, it's a different kind of training, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, our HAZMAT program, I think currently it's 160 hours of training. Uh, that's just the classroom portion. Uh, and then they do another, I think, 80 hours with the actual technology, the meters and stuff like that. So, yeah, our HAZMAT program in Massachusetts is one of the best in the country. You know, it's a, it's a statewide. What makes it one of the best in the country? Well, it's a statewide program. So it's, we have six different districts. We cover the entire state except the city of Boston. Boston, you know, is large enough where they have their own hazardous materials response team. But so we cover the entire state. Um, and our goal is, you know, we can get people there, you know, within an hour on scene helping that, that fire department handle that, uh, handle that response. That seems like an incredibly dangerous, difficult detail to draw. It is. You know, Hazmat, um, it's been one of the highlights of my career. You know, getting I got on the team back in 2003. You know, so I've been a Hazmat tech for 20 years now. And, and it is, about, uh, knock on wood, we've never, we've never injured a, a Hazmat tech in, in the Commonwealth that a Hazmat response. That is really impressive. It is. It is. Um, how much training is involved? For a firefighter to become sufficiently competent in a situation where hazardous materials being leaked. Well, it. you know, new recruits at the fire at the academy, you know, they get, you know, they call it an operations level training, uh, not a, not that hazmat technician level. Uh, so they get a kind of an awareness operations level where they can, you know, they can we call it diking and damming, right? They and they can help out at a hazmat call, but they're not going to get a suit on and actually go down range and, you know, plug a leak or something like that. But they get a, a, a little, a little bit of it at the fire academy, but you know, minimal. As an attorney, I've handled a number of arson cases. I was a defense attorney my whole career. Um, 
I've handled a number of arson situations. Do you oversee forensic fire investigations as well? Yes. So I'll be overseeing the uh, state police fire investigation unit along with the state police bomb squad. So a fire happens. Arson is suspected. Who gets deployed? What kind of analysis happens? How long does it take? And what's your role? So um, if there was a fire, usually it's if that community, that city or town has their own fire investigators, you know, like Northampton, you know, I have, I think half a dozen folks that are certified fire investigators. Um, and then we also have a, a couple of the detectives over at the police department that are certified. They work together. So our folks will respond with the police department and then we'll reach out to the state police fire investigation unit and they'll send a, one of their investigators. Uh, most of them have um, the uh, arson detecting dogs, right? So they'll come with the dog and uh, it'll be a joint operation between them. Now, if a city or town doesn't have an investigator, then they'll reach directly out to the state police, and then the state police will handle that, that investigation. Well, this is, it's really exciting that you're taking on this new responsibility. You're going to be overseeing 800 employees, three fire academies. You're going to be training firefighters, teaching the rest of us how to prevent fires, enforcing the codes. Uh, it is a daunting, a daunting challenge for you. So um, uh, my last question, on my left hand, is your level of excitement about this new challenge. On my right hand is the level of uh, uh, paranoia that you might be experiencing about all these new responsibilities. How's that balance work? I, I'm excited. You know, I, I'm going to start Monday. Um, you know, I thought about should I take a week off and kind of gather my thoughts. But, but honestly, it's, I, I want to get started. I'm excited to get started. Uh, the, new, the previous marshal, uh, Marshal Ostrowski, has agreed to stay for one more week. So him and I are going to work together next week, and uh, hopefully I can. Uh, I'm just going to use the the week to pick his brain and and uh, you know figure out as much as I can. Um, but like I said, it's it's very difficult to leave. You know, I like we were saying earlier during the break, I've worked. You know, I was hired by Mayor Ford and you know promoted to captain and deputy by Mayor Higgins and assistant chief and chief by Mayor Narkowitz and worked with. Mayor Narkowitz very closely during COVID. I mean, we met every day for, God, over a year. And, and now I've had the, the opportunity to work for Mayor Scherer for a year and a half. So it's been, uh, it, we, I'm very lucky. Uh, we've, I've always had great support from the administration. Uh, the city council has always been very supportive of the department. And, you know, we, we have good equipment. We have amazing people. Uh, and we're, we're in the department's in really good shape. So I feel like, you know, if I'm going to go, now's the time to go. I think everything is, is running smoothly. Andy's going to do a great job. And, um, you know, contracts are settled. Uh, the budget's done. And we've got a brand-new ladder truck coming. We've got a new ambulance coming. So I feel like the department's, you know, they're going to they're gonna do a great in good job. Shape. Yeah, it's, it's in good shape. Well, I know once a chief, you're always a chief. And, but now we can, uh, we'll have the privilege as of Monday to call you Marshal John Devin. I'm so glad that you took time from your busy schedule to share your thoughts and your experience with us today. We're all lucky. You know, we can criticize public safety all we want, but when we need you, the fire services are just critical to uh, prevent the nightmare that too many people have to suffer in the loss of their homes and loss of life. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Really, thank you. Okay, Marshall. Good thank luck you. to you. We're going to be right back with the Reverend Carol Bull I right after it. these messages.
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A man accused of molesting three teenage girls during a five-day training camp in Northampton last year is free on bail. A Hampshire Superior Court judge released 38-year-old David Rose of San Antonio, Texas, on $5,000 bail. Rose worked as a massage therapist for USA Cycling during the camp last September and is facing eight counts of indecent assault and one count of rape. The girls, ages 17 and 18 at the time, told Northampton police of improper touching that in some cases escalated over the course of two or three massages. Other conditions of bail include Rose not seeking employment where children under 18 are present. Several nonprofit groups were in Boston on Monday to oppose Rep. Lindsay Sabados's bill to prevent crisis pregnancy centers from disseminating deceptive information. The bill also aims to protect privacy of patients seeking pregnancy-related services. The groups argued that the bill uses discriminatory language and violates free speech, among other issues. Sabadosa disagrees, saying that clinics that provide abortions are very clear about what they offer. But when you're going into a crisis pregnancy center, that is not the case. Sabadosis says she doesn't think the bill will pass in its current form, but the state is interested in trying to figure out how to protect patients. Northampton will have some cooling centers open today. Forbes Library, Lilly Library, Senior Center, and Manna Community Center will all be open. Tomorrow, Forbes Library, Lilly Library, the Senior Center, and Edwards Church will be open. Banks Community Center and Amherst will also be open today and tomorrow from 830 to 4. Mixture of sun and clouds today, scattered showers this morning, and then more widespread thunderstorms this afternoon, a high of 86 to 90. Chance for a scattered evening shower, then clearing out overnight, a low of 64 to 70. Mostly sunny tomorrow, low 90s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Corte Suprema de Estados Unidos tendría que cumplir con estándares de ética más estrictos según la legislación aprobada el jueves por el Comité Judicial del Senado, en respuesta a las recientes revelaciones sobre viajes de jueces financiados por donantes. El proyecto de ley enfrentó la oposición unida de los republicanos, quienes dijeron que podría destruir la Corte. El panel votó según las líneas partidarias para establecer reglas de ética para la Corte y un proceso para hacerlas cumplir, incluidos nuevos estándares de transparencia en torno a recusaciones, obsequios y posibles conflictos de intereses. Los demócratas impulsaron la legislación por primera vez después de los informes a principios de este año de que el juez Clarence Thomas participó en vacaciones de lujo y en un acuerdo inmobiliario con un importante donante republicano, y después de que el presidente del Tribunal Supremo John Roberts se negara a testificar ante el Comité sobre la Ética de la Corte. Desde entonces, los informes noticiosos también revelaron que el juez Samuel Alito se había tomado unas vacaciones de lujo con un donante republicano, y la prensa asociada informó la semana pasada que la jueza Sonia Sotomayor, con la ayuda de su personal, ha adelantado las ventas de sus libros a través de visitas a universidades durante la última década. El presidente del Comité Judicial del Senado, Dick Durbin, dijo que la legislación sería un primer paso crucial para restaurar la confianza en la Corte. Dijo que si alguno de los senadores sentados en la sala se hubiera involucrado en actividades similares, estaría violando
violando las reglas de ética. La legislación de ética tiene pocas posibilidades de ser aprobada en el Senado o en la Cámara de Representantes controlada por los republicanos, pero los demócratas dicen que la avalancha de revelaciones significa que son necesarios estándares exigibles en la Corte. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Sinead O'Connor, who yesterday died at far too young an age. Sinead O'Connor was famous not only as a very uh, skilled vocalist, um, but also because on Saturday Night Live she um, inspired a firestorm when um, she took a photograph of the then-Pope John Paul, tore it in half as her personal uh, public protests against the molestation crisis that was plaguing the Catholic Church. You remember that, Dan? Of course. I mean, I was a young kid when it happened, but I remember the the outrage by it and didn't... Uh, she she couldn't, like, appear on television again on certain channels. She was banned, and she was banned. By, yeah. by NBC and other... A, a lot of outlets, and her, her career was profoundly uh, impacted adversely by her... Um, I, I guess it's a protest uh, against the Catholic Church. She then, eventually, she um, disavowed uh, Catholicism and she converted to Islam and became a Muslim, um, which is really interesting because we have with us today um, Pastor and Reverend uh, Carol Bull, who comes with us monthly on Have Faith segment and is going to... Uh, answer some questions that I've had about um, a belief system and organization uh, called Progressive Christianity. Carol Bull, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm very happy to be here, Buzz. Thank you. What is Progressive Christianity and, and, and this notion of protesting religious organizations, even the Pope himself, um, that rankles some people and it makes some people proud. What do you have to say about it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am not wise on Sinead O'Connor, but I'm going to, I'm making a note to become wise on Sinead O'Connor. So just so you know, I, I'm not aware of all these things that you've said. Um, and, but the, you know, protest takes many, many forms. 
and uh, each person has to decide for themselves, you know, in, uh, in terms of what they need to do, when and why and where. Um, and you can one can only imagine um, the strength that she had to do that on network television, um, knowing that it would feed a lot of different views from people and might affect her career, as you've said, uh, which it did um, in a negative way. So, um, you know, there are moments where, where each of us has to stand up and do the right thing. And uh, others may judge us, but you know, that's for them. They don't, you know, we, we can't run our lives being afraid of what others might think or do. We have to live our lives standing up for injustice. And certainly uh, the Catholic Church in its uh, response back then, uh, and even now sometimes around the uh, sexual abuse of children by leaders of that community um, was, you know, was not being dealt with correctly um, and you know people were still being transferred to different churches and all that kind of thing so um, and I want to say as a hospital chaplain um, I heard many stories from people about sexual abuse by priests from my patients and finally my wise supervisor said to me oh you didn't know that this area was a hotbed of sexual abuse of minors by priests <laughs> and i said no i didn't know that but i'm getting the message from my patients so um, that type of horrible trauma that's been inflicted by those in leadership you know uh, requires often people like sinead uh, doing something that will hopefully move the needle forward on the church doing something better. How does that interface with the, this notion of progressive Christianity? Yeah, good, good, good. Thank you for that segue. So um, I, I just want to start off, though, by saying I'm, I'm more fully owning that when anybody speaks about Christianity, we need to qualify that term because indeed there are at least two ends of the Christian perspective, what I would call right-wing or conservative Christianity at one end and progressive Christianity on the other. Um, and one of the, I'm just gonna read one of the core values of progressive Christianity is this, believe that following the way and teachings of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacredness, wholeness, and unity of all life, even as we recognize that the Spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. Now, just by stating that, one can recognize, I hope, that there are many Christian churches on the other side of the spectrum who believe, based on very little evidence from the Bible, that everyone must come to God through Jesus Christ. And um, that was not meant 
the statements in the Bible that talk about that were not meant the way people think they were meant um, at the time. And I'm not going to go into the hermeneutics of all of that. But um, so this importance in that statement that the spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions, and I might add in terms of agnosticism and atheism as well, right? So um, that's a big difference between the left end of the spectrum and the right end of the spectrum. It is. It's a, you know, we talk about tolerance, which sometimes some of us don't like to use that word because tolerance implies that you're tolerating somebody else. You're not, you know, really uh, giving full respect and, and uh, celebrating what they believe. You're rather going to tolerate who they are or yeah. what they say. But, yes. but there's a lot of fire and brimstone kind of uh, uh, preaching that happens. Uh, you know, we, we stereotypically think of it as down south or in the southwest that, that, that really doesn't embrace tolerance. It's, it's more of a set of values that says my way or the highway. That doesn't sound yes. like what you're saying. You're trying to embrace all um, the diversity of the human condition. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, and I just want to say the United Church of Christ, of which I uh, became ordained in that denomination, um, is a denomination in the progressive tradition. And, you know, the main sign of that for me has always been that we are open and welcoming towards all anyone who walks in our door. We have people in the Jewish faith who attend our church. We have people who have uh, different um, qualities on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. Um, these are no small things, but they are important. And we also are flexible when people choose different language to join our churches. Um, so I was one of the first people to do that at a church in Boston where I wasn't comfortable saying, um, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was allowed to change the language to say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in the company of other saints of a similar stature. Mm -hmm. And that was a big deal for me because I am an interfaith practitioner, though I am a, a Christian minister. So, um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm having, really, Reverend Bull, I'm, yes. I'm having a little bit of problems really understanding that because if the values... The, you know, I always point out when we talk about religiosity generally that there is a difference between a fact and belief. There's a fact that you can either refute that it's a fact or affirm that it's a fact that I right now I'm speaking into a microphone and being broadcast on the radio. That's a fact and I could demonstrate it scientifically and otherwise. And then there's a belief that Satan is here in the studio, which cannot be refuted or affirmed. It's a belief. If you're explaining to congregants or to someone who needs your counsel because of a crisis they're experiencing in their life and you're explaining what your beliefs are um mm -hmm. how do you do that without 
conveying your belief to that person and saying, that's what I think is the right way to look at the world. Those are the values I think you should adopt. You're leaving it open. Yeah, I mean, more of the discussion should be, you know, finding out why that person is coming to me right now for support and what kind of support do they need. And I can share with them what the Christian belief says about whatever's going on with them. I don't um, demand that they buy into that right now. Um, I ask them to stay open to uh, their own connection with God, the greater being, higher power, whatever you want to call it. Um, and to talk, keep talking to me about where they're at and how they, you know, how they want to participate or not in a particular church setting. So um, it's really accepting people, learning about where people are in their lives and in their faith journeys and accepting where they are and not trying to put something on, on them. Well, this is such an important conversation. We are talking with the uh, Reverend Carol Bull of the United Church of Where. Uh, we're talking about progressive Christianity. We're talking about uh, her acceptance uh, and embracing of people for who they are, regardless of whether it's exactly where she thinks the world is or not. We're going to continue our conversation with the Reverend right after these messages. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. What do you take to the beach? A book. Go to Broadside. Get a beach read. Like Happy Place by Emily Henry. Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Have you read Lessons in Chemistry? Read it by the water. Broadside Bookshop Summer Reads. For the beach or a lazy afternoon in an Adirondack. Stacey Abrams' new thriller is Rogue Justice, and you won't be able to put it down, except maybe for a quick dip to cool off. Broadside, Northampton's community bookstore. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered to your door or pick up at the store. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at weinzicknursery.com. Sidewalk sales, downtown Northampton. Sidewalk sales, walk away with a rug, a mug. Walk away with a bargain. Sidewalk sales, now in downtown Northampton. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. 
To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with our weekly segment, Have Faith, and our uh, monthly um, uh, blessing to be with the Reverend Carol Bull of the United Church of Ware. And Reverend Bull, we were just talking during the break, and I was telling you that uh, when I was bar mitzvah, my rabbi said uh, the day of my bar mitzvah that uh, what makes a person a good Jew, uh, you don't have to believe in God. You have to understand that everybody has the same potential of being a good person as you do, and that's what you should aspire to, is to show that you can be a loving, caring, and good person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd like to know how that interfaces with what you're calling progressive Christianity. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you for that story. It's just phenomenal. Um, You know, what I would say is that, um, you know, your rabbi got to the heart of things, didn't, didn't he? Um, that how we are, how we act in the world, how we show kindness to others, this uh, same believing that all have the same potential for goodness as you do, no matter their religious background, uh, fits in perfectly with this progressive Christian value that I did read earlier. And uh, yeah, so how we act, you know, you can have a belief that all people are worthy, have the some potential for goodness, and then not look at certain people as we walk down the street, or not go out and invite people of a different ethnic group to our church, uh, or so on and so forth, that you know that's sort of where the rubber meets the road you know what what how do we act um and i want to i'd like to read something from the united church of christ had uh a big thing happen recently uh we we have nominated and she has been approved for the post of General Minister and President of the United Church of Christ. Her name is Reverend Karen Georgia Thomas. She's the third woman nominated for the post uh, after two others were nominated in 1989 and 1999, but the first to be elected. She's a Jamaican immigrant. Thompson is the third person of African descent to serve as leader of the denomination. And I just wanna read a challenging quote that she said to us. Uh, In speaking to the UCC board before her nomination, she emphasized that dismantling oppressive systems everywhere is necessary for both communities and congregations internationally and domestically to thrive. And this the most important, decolonizing the church on all levels has to be a priority, she said. Decolonizing the church includes our commitment to racial justice and more. Being anti-racist and inclusive requires that we decolonize our institutions 
in ways that afford all to be present and participate equally. This is a commitment to equity for all. That's a pretty so powerful I just statement. So powerful statement and uh, definitely fits in. The other, the other piece that from the core values of progressive uh, Christianity is this, strive for peace and justice among all people knowing that behaving with compassion and selfless love towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe, which is what your rabbi also said. Yeah, I am so appreciative. In, in the less than a minute that we have left, I just want to talk about you know your multiculturalism, your uh, striving for honesty and humility and joy, in people's uh, relationships. I just want to thank you. It's always a pleasure to hear you on this show. And uh, thank you for joining us today and explaining progressive Christianity to us. Thank you. And I'm hoping to explain it more as time goes on, because we, uh, as progressive Christians, we're not saying it enough. Well, we all look forward to that. Thank you, Reverend Bull. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us um, today on Talk the Talk. Remember, don't just... Talk the talk, walk the walk. Now I'm a Want to know more about local history, literature, and education? Hilltown Families' bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime, free of charge, at Hilltown Families. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. Bill Newman is off today. This is Thursday, and we are always blessed with a focus on science and sustainability with Brian Adams. Brian, I know that you always tell me to distinguish between weather and climate, but man, we've been having some weather that I'm having a hard time not thinking it has something to do with climate. I think it has everything to do with climate change. I think the, the what, what was coming is now here, uh, and we are in for a new normal, which is shocking and scary, and has a huge effect on all of our daily lives, including the food that we eat. And we've been talking a lot with farmers on this show uh, about the struggles of farming, the struggles of big agriculture in the valley. Uh, and today we're going to talk about urban agriculture and some of the struggles that go on there. We're going to talk about urban agriculture, food justice, 
and youth empowerment. And I am so delighted to have five, count them, five uh, staff and youth from an amazing organization in Springfield called Gardening the Community. Maurice Poe, Ivan Nunez, Maya Pridgen, Milani Wetterburn, and Mara Wetterburn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So let's talk about what gardening the community is, what you do, and why you are there. Somebody want to lead us off? Yeah, I got it. Uh, so gardening the community. Well, first of all, who are you? Oh, sorry. I'm Maurice Poe. Um, I've been with gardening the community for two years. Um, I am a youth program assistant and social justice advocate at GTC, aka gardening the community. Uh, and Gardening the Community is a food justice organization engaged in youth development, urban agriculture, and sustainable living to build healthy and equitable communities. And yeah, we have another staff and three youth here. So I don't know if you guys want to just talk about who you guys are. Yeah, um, my name is Maya Pridgen. I've been with GTC for about four years. Um, and this year, uh, this is my first year as staff, so I'm the assistant youth program manager. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been working here with my two sisters for a while. We have three sisters on the program, which is yeah. very exciting. Um, my name is Milani Wetterburn. Um, I've also been here for about four years. Um, I'm a youth, uh, youth leader at GTC, and um, yeah, I love everything about the organization. And, Happy to be here. Um, I'm the third sister. My name's Mara Wetterburn, and I've been working at GTC for four years um, alongside my sisters, and I really enjoy the program. I've learned a lot um, being there, and uh, I learned a lot about gardening and just uh, helping my community. My name's Ivan Nunez, and I, w I also work at GTC. Um, I'm a co-lead with Mara, and this year I expect to have fun and just enjoy my time, just making life better for everyone around me, and thank you. So it's an amazing concept to take abandoned, an ab abandoned lots uh, in Springfield, in the middle of the city, we generally think of community gardens, but this is not community gardening. This is not plots that individuals have. This is urban agriculture. What do you grow there, and what do you do with the produce that you grow? Maya, you want to start us off with that? Um, yeah, so we grow a variety of things, um, lots of different vegetables, mainly vegetables. We also grow flowers um, and some fruits. Um, the, most of the stuff that we uh, sell in our farm store is actually grown on other farms. Um, we partner with other farms and to, to sell the stuff at our farm store, and then we do sell some of the stuff that we grow on site in the farm store, but it's not that much. Um, most of the stuff that we grow is like helping the youth to learn how to grow um, food, and um, yeah. And you have one large site, in one large plot in uh, Springfield, or are there multiple plots? There's multiple plots. We have one main site that we work on. Um, that's on Walnut Street in Springfield. Um, and we have a few other sites around Springfield. Brian, can I just say, what is the problem here? We, we hear about food deserts or nutrition deserts. 
Could you explain, or maybe you folks can explain, what is the problem? Um, the problem is like there's never any healthy food around, and for low-income communities, the cheapest option is always better for most people, and it might not be the healthiest option. So we're trying to combat that, and I think we could make an impact. I think you have made an impact. The The store, the farm stand is quite popular. Is that correct? Is there a lot of support from the community? Maurice? So, um, yeah, the farm store is pretty popular. Um, and a large thing that we are doing, I think, in the community um, has just been a lot of policy work. Um, the kids might not know. Um, but I just want to, like, shout out our director, uh, Lizzo Gilvey. She puts in a lot of like work just for the kids, but also just for the community. Um, one of the big policies in Massachusetts that she's worked on is the Healthy Incentives Program, which essentially allows EBT users to get up to 40, 60, 80 dollars a month, depending on family size, of just free healthy food. So at like farm stands and like farmers markets. So like our store, um, as like Springfield is a large city with EBT users. Um, explain, explain what EBT is. Yeah, so EBT is, maybe many people might know it as like food stamps in the past. It's just a way that people can use um, like credit uh, just to spend it on. Like, Electronic ways yeah. of purchasing food under the SNAP program, yes. supplemental nutrition. So exactly. So basically uh, through a lot of uh, Liz's work, um, any person with EBT, they automatically have HIP in Massachusetts. So that's like an automatic $40, $60, $80 a month. So that's every single month that they can use on free fruits and vegetables. Would so you? I think the issue that we set or that you bring up, I think, is where it's like um, people know that there's or uh, sorry, I got to be careful here. So, like, there's a farm store that is present, but it's, like, a lot of people don't really know about it um, because if people, I think, want to eat healthy and do it, but I don't know if we have that much of a presence um, because I think a lot of people try to manipulate that and say low-income fat or people don't want to eat the food, but I think there's a desire and a heart because no one wants to live a life that's unhealthy but I think it's just not really being aware that we're here, which is why I think to answer the question is um, why it's difficult because we desire for there to be more people using the farm store. But right now it's like we still have like some good customers, but we would desire a lot more people to be using. So that seems like a key issue. You have a, a wonderful farm stand making available healthy, organic, produce, not just from your farm, from a variety of farms in, in, the, in the area. Um, how do you get people to use uh, that facility? Is there outreach that goes on? Do you knock on doors? Do you put on, go on to social media? How does that happen? Um, um, let's see, who hasn't spoken? Mara, you want to take that one? Um, yeah, so I think um, now we're trying to do a lot more work of getting the word out and um, letting people know that our farm store is a HIP-eligible place um, where they can get free fruits and vegetables with their EBT. 
Um, and also we're doing projects where we're going to be um, like going out in uh, around the area, like around the traffic circle near our job and um, trying to get the word out about our farm store and get tr more traffic to the farm store. Um, currently, we have a lot of people from uh, neighboring areas, but we don't have a lot of people directly in our neighborhood because I feel like a lot of people walk by it because they're not aware of what we're actually doing there. So um, I feel like once we get more traffic, we'll have a lot more people, um, a lot more customers coming there. Yeah, and something that I actually really want to add quickly too is there's a lot of youth in our program that also don't really know about hip. And when they find out, it's like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. And I think for us just to see people like who realize that, like they have this like benefit, like it's really cool. So I think it like works both ways. Like the youth don't really know, like the community doesn't really know. So it's like, yeah, a really big topic. You know, it, it makes me um, cringe and crazy when you look at produce available from other countries like South America or something. And it's cheaper than what we are producing here in Western Massachusetts. So in some ways you can't blame people for not purchasing locally grown organic food because it can be expensive. Yeah. And here's where what you've been talking about, um, these uh, programs, 40, 60, 80 bucks a month, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of people that's a, that's, a, that's a huge deal. So it's really important to But Brian, the question I have for, for our guests and for you is if somebody is used to eating processed food, they go to a fast food place and they get a, a big double cheeseburger, right? And it costs seven bucks. Now all of a sudden they can go and they can get some squash and some healthy organic food, but they're not used to cooking it. I mean, is that a problem? Um, I think, yeah, I think that is a big problem. Um, people don't necessarily, it's not easy to go from just going, like eating processed food to, to going to cook and buy your own vegetables and make your own food at home, um, whether it's a lack of time or not knowing how to cook or whatever it might be. Um, I think there is a, a demand there's still a demand for healthy food and um, fresh vegetables, like especially different cultures, like they make their cultural meals and they want those um, foods. Like a lot of um, Jamaicans, like they love kalu, so sometimes we'll have that in the farm store. And I think um, there's still like a desire for, the, for those foods to be in the community. And I think um, having them grown in our um, like area is better than importing them and yeah, that's really, really true. We're talking with Mara Wetterburn, Milani Wetterburn, Maya Pridgen, Ivan Nunez, and Maurice Poe. They are uh, five staff and youth from a marvelous organization called Gardening the Community. I want to ask in the minute we have before break, and then we'll come back to this, how did you get involved in this? I mean, this is a huge deal. Urban agriculture is not something that rolls off the tongue easily, right? When we think of agriculture, I think of the farms in the valley, but I don't think of the middle of Springfield. And when I think of agriculture, I generally think of older people because it's a really aging farm folk out there. And I don't think of folks your age getting involved. So someone want to start us off with how you got involved in that? Um, me and my sisters got involved through our cousin. He was already working there when we started. Um, that's how we got involved. And what was it that 
interested you in the project? I've always been interested in gardening. I had a garden at home. Um, I like to grow things, so that's what drew me to the program. Um, I would say for me personally, um, it was something to do, something to get out of the house. I don't think I was necessarily completely interested in gardening at the time, but over the years, I've become more, um, like, I, I like it a lot more now. Uh, similar to what Milani just said, um, yeah, it was something for us to do in the summertime. Uh, we started in the summer of 2019, and um, I just wanted to get out the house and do something, and uh, once I once we started working there, I was really drawn in by just the people, and I, it was a lot different than I thought it would be. I thought it would be more similar to a community garden, but when I realized it was all people my age and um, you know people that look like me, I was really drawn into the program. Ivan, um, I had started originally with a different program, and I was employed by New England Farm Workers, and they had put me in GTC. I didn't know what I was doing. But as I went along, I just, I knew it was a good fit for me. And I've been going here ever since, even when I wasn't working, I would come here. Maurice? Okay. Um, so it's a, I'm, it's a long story, but I wasn't trying to keep it short. Um, so basically, uh, I'm a student at UMass Amherst. Um, I'm going into my senior year. And I was taking a class for civic engagement service learning, and I needed to partner with one of a local community organization. Um, I originally was partnered with the Springfield uh, Food Just, no, something else in Springfield. Um, no, it was a different one. Um, but I needed to partner with the organization, happenstance. Part of your curriculum yes. requirements, yeah. Yeah, the director, um, Liz. Her husband was my middle school art teacher uh, when I was a little kid. And I was just like, I want to work with you. She spoke on a Zoom. I ended up crying because she was talking about how I, as a little black boy in a like, predominantly white community, made her black husband feel strong. And Well, I'm crying like, now. Yeah, I just wanted to, I, like, yeah. So I was well, like, I want to work with you. And we're going to come back to Maurice. And oh, I, I just want to tell you, here in the studio, uh, Brian came in, as he often does, as he always does on Thursdays. And uh, he, trailing him were these five handsome, intelligent, articulate, and obviously committed uh, members of the Gardening the Community community um, sharing their story, this important story about urban agriculture and the food, doing something to combat the food desert that we have in Hamden County and in so many, unfortunately, so many communities. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back with Brian Adams and Gardening the Community folks right after this. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley. 
playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's Polka Carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. This is Cassie Mori, Vice President and Residential Lending Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank. What's better than getting an incredible rate on a mortgage with our Buy in July Mortgage Special? Getting interest rate protection too. That's right. Take advantage of our Buy in July Special now, and if rates drop in the future, you can ask us to have your interest rate reduced without having to refinance. Just call a loan officer for full terms and conditions. If you're in the market for a new home, don't delay because to qualify for our Buy in July Mortgage Special, your application must be received with an executed offer to purchase by by July 31st, 2023, and must close before September 29th, 2023. Apply online at greenfieldsavings.com or call one of our loan officers at 413-775-8200. Greenfield Savings Bank's Buy in July Special. Offer good on mortgages for the purchase of owner-occupied one to four family properties or condominiums. Offer is subject to change or cancellation at any time. See bank for complete details about Buy in July Mortgage Special and the interest rate protection. Member FDIC, member DIF, equal housing lender, greenfieldsavings.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back talking science and sustainability. We're talking about urban agriculture and this extraordinary organization, Gardening the Community, with Brian Adams and his guest today. And it is extraordinary. And one of the things that I think makes Gardening the Community so amazing is the focus on youth and the focus on youth leadership. It's not an adult-run organization. It really comes from, um, from youth. And, and uh, we have folks in the, in the studio today ranging in age from, I want to say, 17 to 22. Is that about right? Uh, and, and it's an amazing process to think that youth can have such an impact on a community level. And I want to know how you recruit other youth to get involved. In an organization like this, it's essential to have new folks coming in because you all are aging out or people age out of the, I want to say, system of the organization. Um, Milani, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people come from uh, school, like the schools around, like um, different youth will tell, peop- tell their friends about the program. Um, I think that's how a lot of people get in. Um, we also have a lot of family members such as me and my sisters um we like people recruit their cousins their siblings um i think that's most of how people find out about it sometimes parents will come to the farm store and then um they'll tell their child to join and um yeah that's usually how it happens i want to tell just a very quick story i broke my hip right before covid and i was in rehab at a facility down in i want to say palm or somewhere around there and, uh, and the, the main nurse who's running the show in terms of, of um, keeping everybody safe and healthy, somehow we get on this conversation about gardening the community. And he's like, gardening the community? I was there for five years. It transformed my life. 
It made me want to go to school. I went on to get a degree in nursing, blah, blah, blah. So do is this a transformative moment in your lives, in youth life, to be given this opportunity to work for food justice, for urban agriculture, um, for all of these really important uh, issues? Can, can someone talk about that, Ivan? Um, I feel proud to say that what I'm doing is a good thing, and I like telling other people that. And, you know, it's more like, tell your friends, you know? And, like, I I love having a positive outlook right now. I'm When I started out school, I wasn't doing so great. And I, I've changed my ways, you know? And I found out, like, how good it is to just be me and, like, what this place has done for me is how to change my character. And I've done really great doing that because I used to just do the bare minimum and I kind of hate that. It's a, a moving story. Anybody else? Oh. Maurice? I'm oh. sorry. Yeah, so I think something that I also want to like talk about and even like thank you, Ivan, just for like sharing that uh like i think something to like address is like the fact that gardening is a hard job um but we have like i want to say like 20 to 30 like youth like yeah. every single summer just like working and coming back every single day like we started coming in at 8 earlier because it's just getting so hot um yeah people are coming they're working like, a lot of people are having fun when they could be doing anything else. And I think we, as staff, will talk a lot about just, like, why and, like, what makes this program special. Um, yeah, I think it's the community, and there's a lot of lessons you can learn gardening. But I think what I liked about what Ivan was talking about was, like, this uh, ability to learn more about yourself and, like, work hard. Um, and I think for me personally, it's been transformative because I've been able to work with other youth and see them grow in ways that I'm just like, wow. And I've only been here two years. So, yeah, that's all I'll say. For that. Um, something that I also wanted to add to that was that um, it really does impact youth's lives. Um, you see that even though youth will age out of the system, go to college, they'll come back as staff. Um, that happens with a lot of people that. I, I, I myself, I took a year off and then came back. Um, a lot of people just come back to gardening the community uh, a lot. So, Milani? Um, I just want to say, like, as somebody who was very shy and, like, um, reserved, um, I'm ho I've been homeschooled my whole life, so that was, that was kind of hard for me to open up and be, like, um, social. And guarding the community has really helped me in that area um, and just have more confidence in my um, leadership and my abilities. Um, it's also helped me to realize I want to go into a career of like um, food science or something in that field. Um, and yeah, I think it's just given me a lot more confidence overall. Mara? Um, yeah, similar to what Milani just said, like I was. When I started, I was um, pretty reserved, pretty shy. I had social anxiety. And now I look back at who I was then, and it's like I've improved so much. Um, even when it comes to 
public speaking or um, meeting customers, meeting new uh, youth. I've just changed a lot and I'm able to like approach people and be a lot more open and meet people that I would, never would have thought I'd meet um, if I hadn't joined the program. The power of youth leadership to change lives among uh, yourselves and other youth is it's really inspiring. It's a really wonderful organization. For folks listening, uh, I know you're always looking for uh, donations, for other input. How can people contact you at Gardening the Community? Uh, so you can find us, if you're in the Springfield area, at 200 Walnut Street, uh, Springfield, Mass. Um, we have a website, thinkgardeningthecommunity.org. Um, we have an Instagram, which I think is Gardening the Community. Am I missing anything else? Uh, but it's on the website, you can find a phone number to call and the email. And I so it's one word, gardeningthecommunity.org. Yes. And it's a wonderful website. I know there's a little place to put do to donate as well because organizations like yours um, require donations. Um, I want to thank you so much, Mara, Milani, Maya, uh, Ivan, and Maurice for being here today. Five youth and staff from a remarkable organization working on urban agriculture, food justice, and youth empowerment, gardening the community. Check them out on the web. Get down to Walnut Street if you ever can to buy produce from them, from them or uh, uh, produce from other local farms as well. Food justice is such an important concept. And Brian, thank you so much for bringing these wonderful yeah. young people. There is hope. Oh, go ahead, Murray. Yeah, and we just like to say thank you guys for inviting us here. Like, I think just the idea of youth empowerment, to, like have us be on a talk show. Like, I was driving Ivan up, and like he was just like, little butterflies, and I was like, you're going to do great. Um, well, you all but, did great, yeah. but I, I really want to, the, the thanks goes to you, not just for what you're doing, which is really important for our neighbors to be able to be find nutritious food and a uh, healthy diet, but also we, we led this segment, Brian, by talking about climate and the horrific things we're seeing. We wake up to every single day. And here we have hope. We have young people bringing us hope. Okay, and we will be right back with uh, Jazz uh, following these messages. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A man accused of molesting three teenage girls during a five-day training camp in Northampton last year is free on bail. A Hampshire Superior Court judge released 38-year-old David Rose of San Antonio, Texas, on $5,000 bail. Rose worked as a massage therapist for USA Cycling during the camp last September and is facing eight counts of indecent assault and one count of rape. The girls, ages 17 and 18 at the time, told Northampton police of improper touching that in some cases escalated over the course of two or three massages. Other conditions of bail include Rose not seeking employment where children under 18 are present. Several nonprofit groups were in Boston on Monday to oppose Rep. Lindsay Sabados's bill to prevent crisis pregnancy centers from disseminating deceptive information. The bill also aims to protect privacy of patients seeking pregnancy-related services. 
The groups argued that the bill uses discriminatory language and violates free speech, among other issues. Sabadosa disagrees, saying that clinics that provide abortions are very clear about what they offer. But when you're going into a crisis pregnancy center, that is not the case. Sabadosa says she doesn't think the bill will pass in its current form, but the state is interested in trying to figure out how to protect patients. Northampton will have some cooling centers open today. Forbes Library, Lilly Library, Senior Center, and Mana Community Center will all be open. Tomorrow, Forbes Library, Lilly Library, the Senior Center, and Edwards Church will be open. Banks Community Center in Amherst will also be open today and tomorrow from 8.30 to 4. Mixture of sun and clouds today, scattered showers this morning, and then more widespread thunderstorms this afternoon, a high of 86 to 90. Chance for a scattered evening shower, then clearing out overnight, a low of 64 to 70. Mostly sunny tomorrow, low 90s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed and get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Ah, summer in New England, and the local farmers are showing up at the co-op every day with summer berries, basil, and tomatoes, an endless bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats, sausage, lots of grilling ideas. And in the co-op cheese department, get fresh mozzarella for your caprese salad. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Paying too much for prescription drugs? Kroger is teaming up with Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs to cut costs for consumers. Cost Plus Drugs marks up prescriptions 15% and adds a $3 pharmacy fee. That's considerably less than the regular price for the same drug. Meanwhile, people who subscribe to Spotify will pay more for the music streaming service. The premium subscription fee is going up $1 from $9.99 to $10.99. It's the first time Spotify has raised its fee since launching in 2011. Home prices in May rose for a fourth straight month on the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Index, but regional differences are getting wider. Prices continue to moderate in 2021's red-hot housing markets, but prices are inching higher in some southern and midwestern cities. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk. So just give me a heads up. And we are back with Talk to Talk, and this is our wonderful Take 5 segment where we explore all the rich music that uh, exists here in the Valley and Hilltowns 
of Western Massachusetts and always our our co-host for this segment is the incredible Ruth Griggs, the president of the Northampton Jazz Festival. Hello, Ruth. Good day to ya, and good day to all the listeners out there. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's wonderful to be back on the air and talking about jazz, and we're going to be hearing from one of our, our most favorite um, jazz vocalists uh, in the area and beyond. So here's um, here's my in a few minutes. Here's and, my story but, that I just want to tell you that it's it's not easy living in Ashfield uh, and uh, having to travel in, to see music to hear music. It used to be easier when I worked full time in the valley, but now I don't work full time in the valley. I come here in the morning, and uh, for me to hang around, it's a little bit harder to to do it, but I always make sure that when there's a certain female vocalist who's performing in this area, I make sure that I can go and see her, and I think that's who you have uh, lined up for us today. That's that's, that's who we're going to be hearing from in a few minutes, um, and that's Karen Allison, and Karen is a five-time Grammy uh, nominated vocalist. She's a um, she's been nominated for the jazz vocalist uh, best jazz vocalist category um, many times over, and we are so lucky that Karen is a world traveler. She she sings throughout the world, but she also comes to Western Mass, which she calls her home. And uh, uh, one of the reasons why we're going to be hearing from her later today is that. We have a very special honor of having her be the guest uh, vocalist at the Northampton Jazz Workshop, which is going to be this Tuesday, um, August 1st, over at the Drake in Amherst. And we've talked about the Drake a fair amount, and the Drake takes a little summer vacation, so you haven't heard much about the Northampton Jazz Workshop being there of late, but they return for their sort of opening welcome back to the fall set um, on August 1st, and Karin is going to be performing starting at 8 which is a little later it's than usually normal. Usually seven thirty. It's it? going to be it's going to be one longer set, starting at eight. Doors will be open at seven because they do anticipate quite a few folks coming in. Uh, so uh, the there's also a, a small cover of ten dollars and five dollars for students. Very small. And there'll be a very small, very small <laughs> for Car and Allison. So we're really excited about that. And, and by the way, for folks who haven't been to the Drake, you know, what I often do is I go and I get my food from a local uh, restaurant, uh, cafe, and I, I, you're permitted to just bring it into the Drake, and uh, they do serve, uh, they, they, they have a bar there. It's, it's such a pleasant place to hear music. It's an informal place to hear music. It's a friendly place to hear music, and I will be there Tuesday, August 1st, to hear Karen Allison, for sure. And we are going to welcome Karen to the show now. Good morning, Karen. Good afternoon. Good Good evening. How are you? Doing well, thank you. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking some time to just share. um, There's so much that you're doing um, in your musical life, in your personal life right now, and. I just want to um, have the listening audience get to know you better because you're such a wonderful <laughs> woman. Oh, you're, well, likewise. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy. I love the jazz community in, in the Amherst and Northampton and Hadley area, Springfield, all of that. I feel lucky to have 
happened upon it, really, several years ago. And um, it's exactly what it is. When you walk into a jazz uh, concert in that community, that's exactly what it is. You feel a part of it. So I love it. Well, we we are we are very very fortunate that uh, we were talking about your upcoming show with the Northampton Jazz Workshop uh, at the Drake mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. on August first, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think people are going to be lining up at seven o'clock when those doors open, Karen. So. <laughs> For those for those people out out there in Radio Land who don't know you as 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 well as I do, and I, and that's a real honor um, that I do. Let's let's go back to some of your original inspiration, Karen. I mean, I know you you are a jazz aficionado. I love the way you scat. I love the way you sing in French and Brazilian, let alone your native language. But. Um, <laughs> You also have a singer-songwriter deeply there inside of you. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I guess when I was growing up in the Midwest, in Omaha, Nebraska, I uh, was a piano. I started out on piano. My mom was my first teacher. And uh, I would get sheet music from um, things I was listening to on the radio. I was really a classical player at first, and that was my major in college. But uh, I would get sheet music of my favorite songs like Carole King, Carly Simon, all that stuff, Roberta Fleck, and just play it and sing along with it. And that's kind of how all that began, my love of popular music. Um, I didn't discover jazz until college. And as I mentioned, I was a classical piano major, but they had a, in a you know, in, in those days, they didn't really have a lot of jazz in school. So now they've got all kinds of it. And uh so I got involved a little bit in that because they knew I could sing a little bit. So the big band invited me to sing. And then it kind of just went from there. I think I started to date a horn player. <laughs> and then, you know, to, you know that necessity is the mother of invention or something. And then jazz just spoke to me in a big way because uh, there's so many things I love about it, especially, the, as you mentioned, improvisatory part of it. and Which you're so also, good at. Well, thank you. I mean, it's a journey, you know, we can always get better, <laughs> but I love to try. And um, it's just another way I can be involved in the band. I mean, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm apart from the band. I'm, I'm the leader, but I like, you know, I love the democrat- democratic process of, of a jazz band. And uh, so, well, and s- um, well speaking of that, being a, being a, a bit of a jazz vocalist myself, I, I don't do mm-hmm. solo gigs, obviously, but I love the way you lead the band when you're on stage. You know, I, let's, let's face it, you're often the only woman on stage with an all-male, all-male band, and you have them totally under control, and they are looking to <laughs> you for, for guidance and my understanding is that the musicians love it when the vocalist gives them really clear instruction and they can follow that vocalist well. That puts them in their happy place. Yeah, I mean, we all want to succeed, we, you know, within the, the nights or days um, music making. I, uh, we want to make it, at least I feel like it's, it wants to become one organism rather than four or five different people playing their instruments. You know, we have to uh, make the music paramount, make the story, you know, and I think that the players, and in this case with um, Paul Arslanian and George Kay and John Fisher, um, they want to help tell the story with me. 
and that's what I that's what I expect when I when I play with players. Um, that's what you excel yeah. at, Karen. I mean, oh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, we try. just <laughs> you know, I, I loved I loved reading um, on your website, which, by the way, folks out there is Karen.com, K-A-R-R-I-N.com. And what I loved is some of the comments from some of the reviewers and writers um, from the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Jazz Times. Karen Allison gets inside a lyric. And that's, that's mm. the storytelling that I think you do so exceptionally well. Um, and I would like to add that I think you get inside a song. It's, oh, it's, well, that's very kind of you. I mean, I, it means the world to me. It's paramount. So I'm uh, all about that when I'm, when I'm up there. <laughs> and uh, I want the, because when I'm an audience member, I, I want that from, from the band uh, you know, in front of me. I want to be involved somehow or feel a part of it. Um, I want to be moved in some way. It doesn't mean like I want to be a, a, an emotional mess <laughs> after the show, but but I want to be feel joy. I want to feel sadness. I want to feel hope or despair, whatever it is. Um, I feel, you know, that that's an important part of the music. Well, and you certainly do all of that. And actually, I did pick a couple of your songs to play, um, one during the break and one as an outro today. And the one during the break is a song that I personally know very well and have sung it, and that's um, Some of That Sunshine. And Aww. talk about a song that, that, that is where people are in the moment. And I, I chose that song today because... Man, oh man, do we need that right now? And and yeah. I after the break, I want to talk to you more about you you know the influence of politics and the influence of the body politic on your music. But we're gonna we're gonna take a break and we're gonna play some of Karen Allison's original, some of that sunshine, and you'll see what I mean. Just when you think trouble's over, there's more. Everyone has her own theory. Nothing's more fickle than fate. But I've always said when it's stormy, just wait. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. 
where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Sidewalk sales, downtown Northampton. Sidewalk sales, walk away with a shirt, a skirt. Walk away with a bargain. Sidewalk sales, now in downtown Northampton. Did you know you can get your prescriptions for less at your local pharmacy? You can with GoodRx. It's the free app that can save you money on your medications. Just search for your prescription, choose the pharmacy and the price that works best for you, and then show your GoodRx coupon to your pharmacist at the drop-off counter. GoodRx works at over 70,000 pharmacies, including Walmart, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, and it works whether you have insurance or not. It's easy to save. Next time you drop off your prescription, check GoodRx. To start saving today, go to GoodRx.com. GoodRx is not insurance. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local news in the Pioneer Valley and for the Pioneer Valley, WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And our music segment on Thursday afternoon always brings me smiles, and we're always talking to really great musicians. But I am saying this. This is not hyperbolic. I love hearing Karen Allison, watching her on the stage, and I will be there on Tuesday. Ruth, uh, thank you so much for bringing her on today. Yes, well, my, well, my pleasure and our pleasure. Yes, uh, uh, actually, one of the one of the reasons I think that that. I feel that Karen gets so effectively inside of a song is is just her stage presence. So Karen, um, like, what do you feel drives that incredible charisma that you have with the audience? And you have us right in the palm of your hand when you are singing, especially some of your 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 more tender ballads. What? How, where does that come from? <laughs> Ah, um, just the will to to convey it and to, you know, <laughs> we feel these things. We go through jazz is, and all music and all art is something you need to live besides just um, talk about or or go to school for. Um, I guess if, if you've gone through times and you, you know, life, <laughs> you're going to want to share that. And I... I stage presence and it's sort of a physicality thing I think too that I try to relay to students I don't want to be distracting on the stage I want to um, enhance whatever's happening however I can sometimes I don't think about it sometimes I am conducting really more with my body Um, but it's not really all that conscious you know I'm not up there thinking okay now I'm going to move my body so the drummer can see me, <laughs> you know, but, uh, well, you know, you know I thought that you might answer that question by saying it's because I love the music. It's because I love the song. It's because I well, love that. I should have answered that. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's, that's, that's what I feel. That's what I feel when I watch you as I feel the love of the music. I and think that, that's, that's the contagion, Karen. It, it, it really is contagious because every time, every time without exception, I think every tune, you bring me into that tune with you just by watching you. It's, it's, it's one thing to hear great music. It's another thing to see it live because, because. 
And we're just going to appreciate that. And we're going to remind the audience that if you want to hear this amazing jazz vocalist who blessedly loves to come to our little happy valley, she is going to be performing at the Drake this coming Tuesday, August 1st. Her set starts at 8 o'clock. Doors open at 7. She's going to be playing with the Green Street Trio, also known as the Northampton Jazz Workshop. And she has been, Karen, you have been singing with Paul, John, and George and the Northampton Jazz Workshop since the very beginning, haven't you? I remember seeing you at the Green Street Cafe back in like 2011. Oh my goodness, I do remember that. And um, yeah, that place was something else. And then, of course, the bowling alley, they moved there. And then they let's not forget the Clarion. The Clare. Oh, right. That well. That oh yeah. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. And um, then finally the Drake. And I think the Drake is a really beautiful home for them. And uh, I like that club a lot. You know, I I want to I want to change gears a little bit uh, because the last um, tune that we're going to play in the outro in a few minutes is "Shake It Up." Because one of the things that I find so fascinating and relatable uh, in your music is the fact that it seems like the the political scene and sort of the reality of where people's lives are is is reflected in your in your songs. And Shake It Up is certainly an example of that. Talk to me about that work that you've done to bring to bring that into your into your songs and into your albums, frankly. Yeah, well, that's, I have for a long time have wanted to include more of how I feel socially into my music. My parents were very socially conscious people, and we were raised to believe that everyone is equal and um, to work our best way toward that. And, you know, you can do it through music without being so direct, but sometimes I'm quite direct, and I think that that needs to happen for me. And um, so this tune, Shake It Up, or the one you're going to play later, is about that. It was a 2016 and how the the, <laughs> the world moved. <laughs> and uh, so it was just my wanting to share. If you want to do something about something, you have to shake it up a little bit instead of... Um, well, we're going to hear yeah. how Karen Allison does that right now. So, Karen, sorry to interrupt you, but thank you for coming on the show. We'll see you on Tuesday, August 1st at the Drake at 8 o'clock. And now we're going to shake it up with Karen Allison. A big taste. Shake this off, so I'm gonna have to shake it up. It won't go away on its own, so I'm gonna have to shake it up. Listen to me, people, I want you to know. Gonna have to shake it up. If the road's not headed where you wanna go, gonna have to shake it up. You can sit around complain, but that won't get you nowhere. Shake it up. Zigging and I'm zagging, mile by mile. 
This is Talk the Talk. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. Are you or someone you know addicted to drugs? Narcotics Anonymous can help. NA has been helping addicts since 1953. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. We offer meetings and services online and in person. To find one of our meetings or to get information on what services are offered, visit www.westernmassna.org or call us at 1-866-NA-HELP-YOU. That's 1-866-624-3578. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls.